Okay, we want to be the most bat flipping, showboating, son of guns in baseball. That's kind of what they were feeding into. We want to be kind of the cockiest team around. That's kind of how they saw themselves was kind of in Cassianos's flex. Okay, we're the we're the underdog. We're coming after these guys. But you know, they haven't backed that up to this point. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closets by Design of St. Louis. Well, I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Joined this week, I'm very excited to have for the first time on the podcast, Bobby Nightingale, Reds beat writer for the Cincinnati Enquirer. He's in St. Louis for the four-game NL Central Showdown, which started, Bobby, I was really struck by this during BP on Thursday, that the Reds were doing base running drills and they were running basically all at the same time around the bases um, as a group. And then the twist was they all flexed at the coach when they got to home plate. Is that standard? <laughs> That's all they do these days. But it's funny. They do a, they do a ton of base running drills like before each series, the first game of each series. And I was talking to a, a Japanese reporter and he goes, it almost reminds me of like a Japanese team of how much they kind of focus on that. And it's funny because the Reds are kind of one of the worst base running teams in baseball. They don't steal very often. A lot of outs on the base pass this season, but something they do each series. It's so it, this it takes me back a little bit because the the Cardinals were very poor base runners there for a while. Um, this goes back maybe four or five years, maybe even six, and they were they were poor base runners. And I was asking why they stop practicing base running when they leave spring training, um, because I was thinking back to you know ten fifteen years ago, and I would watch some of the guys practice base running, particularly David Eckstein, and he was telling me that he liked to practice base running during BP because then he could see kind of the flight of the ball and know when else are you going to get that many balls that you can read? And is that going to land? Is that going to get in the gap? Is that at a new ballpark and how much that helped him with base running? Because then he'd seen it so often in BP that he could by instinct run, um, you know, know where the ball was going to go with that particular ballpark. And he felt that made him a better base runner. Um, I asked, I asked Craig council, the the brewers manager about you know why because he was the same way right like when he was a player they'd go through yeah. base running drills during the season and he said it was an old man question that's what he said <laughs> he goes that sounds like an old man question and uh i said uh i said well you're older than me could you give me an old man answer and it was really kind of off the rails at that point <laughs> it, was like, <laughs> it was like oh my gosh whatever. but it was i i kid about the flexing but it was something that stood out to me that they, you know, and you know, David Bell, the manager of the Reds, was the bench coach here for the Cardinals for a while. And, you know, the the Cardinals really went through kind of a base running renaissance um, a couple of years ago when Schilt took over. And it was partially because they, you know, his point was that, you know, unless you hit a home run, you have to be a good base runner to create a run. So why not work on it more? He just told us that this past weekend. He said, we spend so much time hitting in the cage. Why? you know, to then get on the bases and not know what to do. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I mean, I, I just think it's kind of a dying art. You just don't see it much. The Reds especially, they're just a slow team uh, on top of that. Not many fast runners. Their fastest player, Nick Senzel, is on the injured list, and they're probably second fastest runners, uh, the pitcher who's also on the injured list. So don't have much team speed, but it's something I know they try to pride themselves on in terms of taking the extra base and trying to be aggressive. Um, and it's cost them at times, but um, some, something that at least it's kind of a throwback in terms of you just don't see it a lot anymore. And, and it, you, you joke about the flexing now in front of uh, Great American Ballpark. You'll see it next time. the car um, But at Great American Ballpark, there's this huge poster, I mean, above the whole stadium where it's Castellanos flexing over Woodford. Really? Wow. Yeah, they totally bought in, you know, leaning into it, totally embracing it. Is, and is Woodford identified in it? It has a lot of them in it. I mean, it's not obviously. It's more about Castellanos standing over them, but it's you, you. You can tell it's Woodford. I mean, probably got the, like the wood and the F uh, <laughs> name in that picture. What is that going to be the high point of the season for the Reds? And if that is the high point of the season for the Reds, is what kind of problematic season are they going to have? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Nick Castellanos actually mentioned he was out at a, a restaurant couple weeks ago maybe probably a month ago at this point but the waiter came up and he showed him his background on his phone and that was the picture he had uh wow. a, a picture of that scene so 
the, the city loves it. I mean, that, that's kind of like Nick Cassianis is our guy from here on out after he did that. And um, obviously he's still upset a little about it a little bit because of the suspension he got afterwards. Yeah, um, which was a joke. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. Um, I thought it was enough that he got ejected, but the suspension was over the top. But, you know, it's, it's one of those that uh, Cincinnati kind of likes to play with their edge, likes to have an edge as a city. And I think that was kind of the, the moment they, they can point to for this season so far. I asked it somewhat facetiously, but now I guess I should ask it seriously. What what happens if that's as good as it gets, though? I mean, you know, the, the Reds, that series looked like a team that wanted to make a statement. Castellanos certainly said as much. I mean, I remember his post-game press conference where he was just talking about being tired of losing. Uh, you know, they're, they're still in the division race in part because no one has separated themselves from the, the division. Um, you know, so where, where do they fit in? And, and is it at all possible that that will be the high point of the season, that, that that series is the best they'll play? Yeah, I think it's right now it's a legitimate possibility. I mean, they're dealing with injuries. I think all teams are, um, but they don't have the depth. Some of these other teams, you know, like the the Cardinals with how many injuries they have, I, I don't think the Reds would be able to survive if they had to go through mm-hmm. that or what the Padres have gone through. So I, I think that's a scary thought for Reds fans because there, there's really not a middle ground. I mean, if they keep struggling, you have to look at trading off a bunch of pieces. Cassiano says an opt-out clause after the season, so and he's playing at an MVP level right now. So he, he, he'd be the kind of the big bat on the trade market. Uh, Sonny Gray, a. Eugenio Suarez, Luis Castillo were all kind of shopped around, not shopped around, but it, the Reds listened to offers last offseason on those guys. So I, I think they're kind of teetering on, can we go for it um, with this roster that we have, or are we going to have to sell off a little bit? Because I, I don't think they're a World Series team, but if, if you can stay close enough in the NL Central and you uh, have a chance to make the playoffs, I, I think you have to do it and take those shots. Um, I, I don't think the fan base would want to stomach any type of reset, any type of rebuild uh, where it takes a couple of years to get back. But um, they're kind of teetering on – this is kind of the challenge they when they built this roster was they, they kind of push themselves into a shorter window when you trade for Trevor Bauer and trade some of your top prospects mm-hmm. to get these guys and all these Mike Moustakis and Nick Castellanos, some older guys to bigger contracts that um, they had a shorter window. And I, th- I think last year was their best year in a while roster-wise, and the pandemic really hurt them in that way. Yeah, I, I, I thought that maybe within the division, the shortened season and the pandemic cost them most of all. Um, they had invested quite a bit. They, quote unquote, won the offseason. They had an impressive team um, that seemed to fortify the offense around what really was an, an excellent pitching staff in 2019. You think back to it. I mean, they were really strong and, and it was the offense that didn't quite get up to speed right i mean that was that was kind of where they lagged then they they spend money to get it and then all of a sudden they're playing in front of empty houses and they're playing a shortened season and there's a lot that could go into it i i i think the there's a real good question as to how good the 2020 reds would have been in a full season and they might have been a you know they might have been a division champ yeah, I mean, if you look at if they had just hit the way they have been in 2021, like they did last year, I, I definitely think they're on the short list of National League pennant type teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, that rotation they had where Sonny Gray was in, at a peak, uh, Trevor Bauer had a Cy Young, Luis Castillo was a lot better than he is this year. So I think it was kind of everything was lining up. Uh, if if one they could hit, and if two they had a regular season to do it all. Um, like Nick Castellanos, he talks about he thinks the biggest difference between him this year and him last year where he struggled a lot is that he's just happy now. He's like, I was depressed during the pandemic. I mean, I was angry all the time. There's nothing fun about it. Kind of, he said he felt like a caged animal going place to place just because he Hmm. hotel room and, uh, you know, couldn't really do anything about his day. So I I think it was one of those, uh, looking back on it, the Reds are kind of fearful that that might be the missed opportunities that the pandemic cost them, you know, a couple of years just because, they didn't get the return on their investments. They lost money on the season uh, with without fans. So a lot of things worked against them uh, that they couldn't have foreseen when they made the investment to get Bauer and sign all those free agents. Do you think that there's going to be some ramifications of that in the years to come? Like, you know, say like Cassianos, you said, has the opt-out. But do you think that they're still yet to feel the pinch of not having the revenue from last year, that that, that time is even ahead? I think, I think this offseason was kind of a wake-up call. I mean, 
they made the playoffs for the first time in seven years. I think everyone kind of felt like, okay, they ha- they have something to build on at least. Um, and, and then they just got rid of a bunch of guys. I mean, Rysel Glacius, they traded away in a salary dump. Um, Archie Bradley um, and Brian Goodwin, two guys they got at the trade deadline last year. They got yeah. them. They both had team control for this season, and then they got rid of them, you know, non-tendered both of them. So it was one of those things where it, was like, it seemed like they kept pushing, like, okay, 2021 – we're set up okay for it. We didn't lose many free agents. They're going to lose Bauer. Um, I, I think they all expected that. But after that, I think they felt like they were in good shape. Like, okay, now we have to get rid of some money, drop our payroll by $20 million. And, you know, shortstop was their biggest hole off, all offseason, and they didn't end up with one. So, um, you know, they, they couldn't fill the holes. They had to get rid of some a lot of depth pieces. Um, and I, I, I do think that's the first ramification from it uh, Two remains to be seen if, if it keeps carrying on to 2022 and 2023. Not to be lost in all this then is Joey Votto, who is on a rehab assignment and coming back. Um, he he won't be in the Cardinal series. Is that a right read on that? Yeah, correct. He'll probably be back maybe their first series after the Cardinal series. Where, where does he kind of fit into this? You mentioned that they kind of narrowed the window a little bit with all the spending. Uh, you know, they they could go the entirety of his contract without really making a splash in October. Yeah, he's never he's never won a playoff series in his career. And you know, looking at for him, it's tough because his whole prime was a rebuilding team, basically. Um, and, and finally, you could you could tell the excitement kind of coming back to him was, OK, finally, they're getting some pieces around me. Finally, we have a chance to a legitimate chance to win again. And you could tell the prospect was exciting for him. The, the difficult part for him is Father Time's undefeated and his performance has really taken a dip since 2018. Um, so I, it, it's, it's one of those, he's still trying to keep up with the game. He's changed his whole approach where he's hitting for more power, um, trying to do more damage at the plate instead of just being the guy who gets on base a ton. Um, so I, I think he's trying to fit into the modern game a little bit, which is interesting to me, just the way he's had to change his approach over the last five years. Um but, you know, his contract, I mean, he's making $25 million. Um, and and I, he's kind of been a lightning rod for the fan base because of that. Just because fans look at him. And I think any expensive player on a on a losing team is always going to take the shots that way. But, um, you know, you know, he's, he's done everything he could uh, in his first decade of his start of his career to put the Reds in a great position. They were just rebuilding during it. And now that, um, you know, the Reds are trying to take that next step, it, it, he, he's not the elite player that he once was, more of a league average type first baseman. On the short list of players who have had their careers uh, changed or complicated or completely challenged by the defensive shift is Votto and Matt Carpenter. Is that prompting some of what Votto's trying to change? I mean, we, we saw Matt Carpenter go with a more power approach a few years ago the whole salsa sensation and you know the the second half tear that at one point in time in august maybe even early september he was leading the league in home runs and ops and just had you know a series for the ages if you just look at one series um and even a day for the ages at wrigley field um but you know the the that was when he was hitting it over the shift and we've seen time and time again over the last few years him hit into the shift it, it his Votto had to adjust in some ways because of that. Yeah, I think I think that's a huge part of it. And um, I, I can't remember what year it was, maybe 2018, 2019, when I was just starting out. But I remember Votto was talking about a conversation he had with Matt Carpenter, just when Carpenter was going really well, Votto was still going really well. And they were kind of talking back and forth about how, you know, both of them were trading secrets a little bit. Just here's what I'm doing well. Here's what you're doing well. Um, you know, they both have a lot of respect for each other. But I think Votto, there was a point last year in 2020 where he got benched for three games. Mm. Uh, Bell it was probably one of David Bell's most significant moves as manager uh, in his two and a half years so far. Um, but it was the first time Votto's been benched for performance-related reasons in his career. And I think that was almost like a wake-up call, like, okay, what I'm doing, I can't keep doing. I, I, I'm not going to be a guy who's going to get on base, you know, a 410 on base percentage or 420 on base percentage type guy because – if you're a pitcher, why would you walk him anymore? And he's great at drawing walks, has great strike zone discipline. But there's no reason to walk him if you don't fear damage against him. And I think he he just went back to, okay, I, I have to start hitting for more power, doing more damage. Uh, because if I want to draw more walks, I'm going to have to make pitchers pay for throwing strikes over the uh, over the plate. And did he 
did you see him make strides of that at spring training or early in the season? Yeah, his last September, I mean, he the last couple of years, he hasn't had a ton of homers. Last September, I think he had six. Mm. So, like, the first big step and step forward. He looked great in spring training. And then, um, if you remember, he missed the last two weeks after he tested positive for COVID. Mm-hmm. And it kind of ruined his progress. He had a slow April, and then he broke his thumb, and that's why he's on the injured list now. Um, but that September and the early spring training, I mean, if he hits like that, I, I thought he was going to be a nice boost to the lineup. Uh, you know, maybe not an MVP caliber type guy anymore, but an above average type hitter. Um, but I, I think COVID kind of messed up his season to start off. And now he has to come back from the thumb injury and uh, we'll, we'll see where that takes him. What do you think the Reds will do? You mentioned that like Vada was benched last year. I mean, it's, it, you hope it doesn't come to this. I mean, he deserves just the, the send off that all great hitters and future hall of famers and one team got team players. We, one of the questions that I asked, uh, I guess he's your competitor, right? One of the questions that your, your competitor, Trent, and uh, C. Trent Rosecrans with The Athletic, and I kind of kicked around is, you know, Vado and Molina, are they sort of the, are they the Hall of Famers in the division right now? Both of these one team guys. And, you know, Molina is in a year to year spot, which somewhat protects him from what Albert Pujols just experienced, where he was DFA'd by the team he expected to retire with and, you know, left out in the open free agent, um, now a Dodger, but really kind of denied maybe that send off with the team where he had a whole lot of milestones, um, that being the angels or, or even a return to the Cardinals as unlikely as that was, um, because of the timing, you know, a, a kind of a farewell tour with that. I mean, is that, is there a point where Votto gets to that point or is you think he's a, a red for life? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think there's a fear that it could get something like that, but I, I do think the DH will come to the National League next year, and I yeah. think that would be a big boost. Where okay, great even point. if even if he drops a little bit, we can just put him at DH. Um, That's a great point. Do you do you think of the Molina and uh, and Votto kind of as the two guys in the in the division that stand out as far as kind of future Hall of Famers? Yeah, I was thinking, I was trying to go through the teams in my head. I think. Those, those two definitely kind of linked together. I, I didn't think of it that way in terms of, you know, both have spent their careers with one team and um, done what they've done, you know, put 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 together Hall of Fame type careers. I, I, I don't know who else would fall in that category. I mean, Anthony Rizzo has spent his whole major league career with the Cubs, I believe, but yep. there originally um, with Theo. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think those two kind of stand alone. They're both, you know, you don't see many – 35 and older type players still stick around anymore. I, th- I think that's just becoming kind of a dying breed as well. Um, teams just aren't g- giving those type of players contracts after their contracts are up. So, you know, I, I, I followed the Molina free agency uh, last season. I, it, everyone kind of assumed he'd go back to St. Louis outside of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I thought it was interesting because it was just like, could a team really, could the Cardinals really go on without Yadier Molina? When like, you think of the Cardinals, you think of Yadier Molina for the last, you know, 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Is that the only thing that – well, I, sh- I should say real quick, the Rizzo made his debut with the Padres. It was brief. Um, oh, did he? Then, okay. Yeah, yeah. He made his debut with the Padres, and then um, – I don't – you know, I don't remember. It wasn't – it was a quarter of a season, half – or a third of a season, somewhere along there, and then um, and then was with the the Cubs and kind of then had his awakening as a player, was a, was a great player for them. Ha- has been a great player for them. Is, is that about the only, is, is Molina captured in that poster of Castellanos flexing? He's not, uh, he's just off screen, ready to go after his neck. <laughs> <laughs> is he, is, is, is Molina, where does Molina fit into the uh, Rushmore of Cincinnati sports villains? He st- I mean, he still gets booed for the, the Brandon Phillips brawl thing. I mean, I- really? I, I think that's that's the lifespan that he still has. I, I still think, like in fans' minds, that's the first thing they think of when you bring up Yadier Molina. It's like, okay, that's the guy that um, you know set off that brawl. Um, even though I think Phillips was in the, you know, deserves as much blame as Molina did for that one. But um, yeah, I, I think he's probably he's got to be up there. I mean, anytime you bring up Molina. Um, like if I if I wrote in a story he's future Hall of Famer I think I would get ten emails saying how could you call him a Hall of Famer you know he's, he's really staff- yeah I mean it, it's it's pretty fiercely debated in Cincy I mean they 
they look at the counting stats and I don't think they take into account that he's a catcher, but um, just the fact that everyone in Cincinnati doesn't think he's a true Hall of Fame. I, mean, I shouldn't say everyone, but I would say a, pro- a loud part of the fan base um, does not believe Yadier Molina is a Hall of Famer, which if you pick any Reds player, I, I, they would disagree with that. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. Like that Nick Castellano said, I would ask him for his autograph. And like, it was like, that was the moment that all the fan, it just being there that weekend, it was this sense of like, oh my gosh, the flex kind of galvanized the fans. And like you said, right, made Nick Castellanos the red to rally behind. And then he goes, yeah, I'd ask Yadier Molina for, if he punched me in the face, I'd ask him for his autograph. And fans were like, well, let's ignore that. Just ignore that. But you're awesome. (laughs) You know, it just was like, I was like, look, this guy just gave a huge compliment to somebody who you boo constantly. Um, How much of that do you think, you mentioned that it's the brawl. Uh, that's part of it. it some of it ha- has to be like the timing of it too like I mean he's had some significant home runs there and he's you know seized games away from the Reds is there any element of it that is defensive of Johnny Bench is that part of this too yeah I'm sure that plays a part I mean now that you bring it up I mean just like you know Reds, Reds fans don't want to admit any catcher is going to get to that level you know Bench is Johnny Bench he's set the kind of the standard for modern catching um, the way that defensive catchers are used these days. So I, I, I definitely think that plays a part into it. And I also think, you know, the Cardinals have just been the best team in the division over the last 10, 15 years. And, I, you know, it's one of those things where Reds fans see that and they see the towns like Cincinnati and St. Louis aren't vastly different. Right. The success there they've had, you know, the Reds have been rebuilding for pretty much the last 10 years. And the Cardinals have won a couple World Series in the last um years so I, I i think that plays a part into it too is just you know we they see molina and they what he he, he just represents the cardinal brand um in mm. his eyes after pool holes left yeah I, I was i thought about that with Votto's career that you know he has spent the entirety of his career with the reds while wainwright and molina have been together with the cardinals and just the overlap there um and you mentioned like just the the run of uh, winning season, I mean, with 13 consecutive winning seasons for the Cardinals in that time. I mean, to spend most of the time looking up at another team, um, especially one that you have, you know, that you as an organization have ties to. I mean, the owner of the Reds came from the ownership group of the Cardinals. The Cardinals owner lives in Cincinnati. Um, that's where, where he calls home. Um, and now, he, he, you know, the, the manager um, with his has obviously deep ties to Cincinnati, family ties to Cincinnati. Um, but was most recently, um, you know, I guess one stop before was with the Cardinals as their bench coach. What What's David Bell's managerial style been like? Um, obviously, we could we could probably talk for uh, another hour about his ejections, but just the <laughs> um, just how have you seen that um, kind of capture the team, and, and how's he done there? Yeah, I think he's the first modern type manager that they've had. Um, mm. I didn't cover Brian Price, but I just know the way kind of mixes and matches, puts the emphasis on analytics the way he does. I think he's the first manager um, that the Reds have had that have, has kind of embraced it the way he has. I mean, he's always kind of looking for that edge, um, whether it's, you know, left finding the lefty-lefty matchups for pitchers. Um, right now, you know, they don't have a closer. It's really just wh- whoever's available for the ninth is the guy who they get it based off their matchups. Um, the, the, I think they have six or seven guys that recorded a save this season. So it's one of those things where he's bringing a lot of that. I think there's some pushback just from the fan base because of when you think about Red's history, everyone will always go back to the big red machine and the great eight and uh, those guys. And this is such a different brand of baseball than that was. I, I, I do think um, Bell received some criticism for that. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I mean, he's a fiercely player manager. I mean, he, he's always going to defend his players kind of to a um, you mentioned the ejections. I, I would argue that, you know, maybe 90% of his ejections are some reason trying to back up a player, whether they got hit at um, or whether they were arguing about a strike zone and he ran out there and got ejected for them. So he, he's one of those type of managers where fiercely loyal kind of has the, you, you can tell he's played before just because that's the the style he kind of brings. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just the first manager in Cincinnati Reds history to, to embrace analytics the way he does. Where does that show up? Like, I mean, is it in the 
how he sets up the lineup or how he talk. Where where do you see that most? And is the clubhouse then re- been receptive to it too? I mean, you have some. Well, Vado's always been kind of embraced that. Um, you know, I mean, there's stories galore of him being a reader of fan graphs and looking into the numbers and everything like that. But you also have some guys there who are like uh, more grip it and rip it type hitters as well. So how has that been received in the clubhouse? Yeah, I think initially, like his first year, he had to learn. I, th- I think bullpen management was something that mm. uh, didn't come not didn't come naturally. I mean, I thought I thought <clears throat> if a guy had a good matchup, he would overdo it a little bit. Say like this guy pitches matches up really well against the Cardinals. Well, then he would use him two or three straight nights against the Cardinals, and he'd be like, okay, after the third night, these hitters have seen him enough, and um, you're not going to some of the other guys. So he, he'd write the hot hand, I thought, a little bit too much, um, mm. the hot matchup hand. But also, you know, the lineups he does. I mean, it, he, right now they have Eugenio Suarez batting leadoff. He has, you know, one of their slower runners. Um, he's hitting like 180 right now. Um, but it, it's one of those things where it, 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 this one's more for trying to get Eugenio Suarez's confidence back up because he's been struggling all season. Um, but he... he Joey Votto's batted leadoff at times. Um, Jesse Winker is great at having, um, you know, one of the best hitters in the National League. He's been their primary leadoff hitter this year. So I think it's one of those where they're changing the way they structure the lineups. It's not necessarily a speed guy up top. You know, Winker's not the fastest guy. Um, but it's more about just getting on base and um, emphasizing that more often than just having a speed guy just because tr- leadoff hitters have traditionally had the speed and, getting rid of a closer, just going using your best relievers in the fifth or sixth inning, like EJ Antone last night for uh, pitching against the Cardinals on Thursday, he came in in the sixth inning. I mean, he, in a traditional team, he'd probably be the closer. Uh, yeah. Want to use him in kind of that Josh Hader type role that Josh Hader used to have before he started pitching the ninth inning. Antone was really impressive that he was really impressive in that. Uh, I mean, he's got great stuff. Um, you look at him and Sims. I mean, those are two guys. Sims is usually way up there with the uh, spin rate. Um, you know, and the, one of those guys who's using it as, as an example of, um, you know, just the how metrics can identify great stuff. He's in that group, and I mean, that's a pretty good one-two punch if you have a lead, right? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think you know, Amir Garrett was originally supposed to be a part of that group. He's really struggled this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, supposed to be kind of the three-headed back end um Garrett Antone and uh Sims Antone was originally supposed to be kind of like that bridge that's that's the way they prefer to use him as a multi-inning type role he comes in after the starter and then gives it to Sims and originally and Garrett um at the beginning of the year and just kind of fills that role I I think it's a tough role but um you know Antone being a former starter he's really embraced it and he's had a ton of success I mean he's been their best pitcher uh, by a significant amount in terms of reliability comes in every time he pitches a high leverage situation. And um, I think his ERA is below two, which kind of speaks to how effective he's been. You've had a chance to see every division team by now, right? Have you, have you had a chance yeah. to see them in person? Where do you, what do you make of the division before I ask you where the Reds fit into it? I think the, the Brewers, I think are a little under the radar in terms of, and I think the record's around 500 right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been dealing with injuries, but I really like the the defense they have when they're healthy. I really like the the end of the rotation. If you have a lead after the seventh inning and you have Devin Williams and Josh Hader, I, I think it's almost an automatic win. Um, I, I still think the Cardinals are probably the best team in the division. Um, the, the Cubs, I, I, I'm not sold on the Cubs yet. I, I, their pitching still scares me. Um, their, their bullpen they really had a recent hot streak. I think it was 38 consecutive scoreless innings for them. Yeah. Yep. Last weekend, so um, they, they've been put. They're up, they've been a hot team, um, but but I, I I think the Cardinals are a little bit higher just based off the fundamentals that they have. I know they've been going to deal with injuries now, um, but I, I I just think the one question about the Cardinals coming into the season was whether they could hit, um, and I, th- I think they've answered some of those questions. And uh, I, I think the Brewers are a good all around team that kind of sneak up on everybody. Do you do you get the sense that the Reds? I don't know how teams think about this. I mean, I, I think, you know, from a rider's perspective and from a fan's perspective, we probably go, well, look, you know, that team's like the Cardinals, for example. Well, they're they're vulnerable now 
without Flaherty for a while. Um, they're vulnerable now without Michaelis to come into the rotation. I mean, that rotation could tumble. Do you, do you think other? Do you think maybe the Reds see some of the injuries going on and they have their own and go, well, you know, this division is is open and that it might come down to the move made in the midseason um, and who makes it sooner. Yeah, I definitely think the Reds, I, I think they're six out um, after Friday, after Thursday's game, mm-hmm. six games out of, out of behind the Cubs in the division. They, they definitely look at it as no one's run away with it yet. We, we talked to Amir Garrett last weekend and he said, Hey, I'm not, the team's just chilling right now. We're not too concerned. Um, you know, we, we know we're not playing to our capabilities. We know it can get late early, um, you know, it's not a 60 game season anymore, but you don't want to put yourself in too big of a hole. Um, but they felt like, okay, no one's going to run away with this. Um, you know, this division is going to be a dog fight for all six months. So as long as we keep with the pack, um, they, they feel like they still have a chance just because, you know, one team, all it takes is one team getting hot in August, uh, some team making a move at the trade deadline. And um, I, I know the Reds have emphasized it a lot. I mean, the team that stays the healthiest probably has the best chance to win the dis- division. Yeah, that, that's a, that is probably, that's probably true throughout baseball, right? Like the team, like that's why um, you go, I've just been back from Los Angeles and you see what the Dodgers are. And it's like, well, Albert Pools is starting at first base in part because they had injuries. Um, you know, they, they wanted a right-handed hitter to, you know, to kind of compliment and they do the matchup game quite well. But, you know, that was one of the things that driving that decision is every team has had injuries. I mean, you look Mike Trout, Tatis, two of the great young players, two of the great players in the league dealing with injuries, so many pitching injuries. Uh, how are the Reds positioned to make a, a move and how might they straddle that line? Or do you think that they need to, that they can't straddle the line between buyer and seller? They got to be one or the other. I think the only thing that would help them be a buyer is the fact that they were supposed to go to hundred percent capacity in their last home game. It got rained out. So their next home game now will be their first one with 100% capacity. They were hoping to get there by the all-star break. So they're about a month ahead of schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they did save a little bit of money from the off season. They, they didn't sign a short stop um, to say, okay, if something comes up during the season. Maybe we have a chance to do this. Um, but, but I think they have to be playing a lot better than they are right now to put the front office in the position where we're going to look at being buyers. Um, I could just, just because I, they don't have many free agents going into next year. Michael Lorenzen's the only one who will be truly a free agent. Castellanos, I assume, will opt out if he keeps playing as well as he is. Um, Tucker Barnhart and Wade Miley have club options. But you can essentially run back the same team and focus on it in the offseason uh, when you have a better sense of your financials um, if, if you don't make a move in next month. So I, I do think that will probably play a factor is um, at, at least they're open – having hundred percent capacity, if they can sell tickets, if they can kind of get a short-term boost and the team starts playing well, maybe they look at adding a little bit, maybe add a reliever, an extra starter or something like that. But um, I I don't think they're going to fully be a buyer and start trading top prospects or anything like that. What has to happen for them to win the division? Do, could they perform, could like, you know, their pitching staff come around their offense maintained. Votto gets healthy and compliments the the Jesse Winker, Nick Castellanos flex show. Um, could they, you know, could could they put together with what they have uh, a team that wins the division, or would they need to add something, or would other teams need to stumble? What kind of mix of things, confluence of events, would lead to the Reds winning the division? I think one, they have to be healthy. I mean, they just don't have the depth to compete with other teams that they're not. Um, if you add to the t- to this team's week this weekend, if you could add Joey Votto, Mike Mustakis, and Nick Senzel to the lineup, I, I think it's a much deeper lineup. I think it's a much better team, um, mm-hmm. and defensively. Uh, you look at like Luis Castillo; he's been one of the worst starting pitchers in baseball this year, and um, as surprising as that is. Um, it, as shocking as it is to see him kind of go from all-star to a, a guy who has a one in 10 record in his starts and uh, an ERA above seven. Uh, if he turns it around, I, I think that does a lot for the bullpen. I, I always think it's easy to add relievers at the deadline. You know, bad teams are always going to have one or two relievers on their teams that they're okay with trading at that point. 
but if, if they're not healthy, Mike Moustakas is still a couple of weeks away. Nick Senzel's out to the all-star break. Uh, Votto's returning, but say say Nick Castellanos got hurt or Jesse Winker. I, I don't think they can stomach those types of injuries. So I like other teams, the way they've had to deal with injuries like the Cardinals are, I, I, I don't think that would be something the Reds could do. So one, they have to be healthy. And two, I, I do think they need some teams to start stumbling, at least fall back to the pack if, if the division is one with a winner around 85 games, I think that's possible. Wow. If it's anything like 88 or 89, I, I don't think they're going to get there. Wow. I mean, what does that say about that division? If it would have the pirates and it would also have a winner around 85, 86, that's not a real good division. And that was kind of the expectation going into the year though. Right. I mean, just no one expected anyone. I think the Cardinals, after they traded for Arenado, that kind of changed the perception of it. Mm-hmm. But trade i mean people were thinking you know maybe it only takes 83 84 wins to win the division just get barely above 500 um but i i kind of changed the calculus when arenado came into the division um but i I think the perception in cincinnati was okay if we can get to 84 85 and see what happens that that was kind of the best bet this year wow i just i i i'm fascinated by that because you know there's so many wins to be had against the pirates that like somebody who you'd think would go whatever, like maybe some goofy kind of 14 and five against them or something. And you'd accidentally get up to 90 wins to win the division. But yeah, I mean, you make sense. I mean, if everybody else is mediocre and they're kind of kicking around on each other and, you know, you're looking at a whole lot of maybe 10 and nine, nine and 10 records, a bunch of the other ones, that's how, that's what happens. Right. I mean, that, that they all kind of settle and it does mean games like Thursdays, you, you could go back and go, well, you know, the, the Cardinals walked their way into that trouble. You know, I mean, they, 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 uh, they had chances to win that game. Um, you know, the Reds just played sharper and that, that kind of game could win a division if everything's so close. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the Reds, I think they're, they're four games under 500 right now. And they're, I think, I think two games above 500 against the division. I mean, they're, they're one in five against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, outside of the Dodgers, I mean, they've struggled against every team in the National League West. Um, and, and they struggle against the National League East, too. So I, I think it's one of those, they feel like if they keep playing well against the division, keep giving themselves a chance, um, you know, they, they need a Eugenio Suarez and Luis Castillo to turn their seasons around. Yeah. But you look at like the Cubs. I mean, if they struggle in June and they start looking at maybe having to sell off a little bit, they have so many impending free agents. Um, if the Cardinals keep dealing with injuries, if Christian Yelich never gets back on track, um, I, I, I could see it where everyone in the, there's no top team in the division and everyone kind of keeps shuffling throughout the year of what team's hot and what team's not. Sounds like a compelling division to cover, huh? Really just lots of, a lot of mediocre baseball. It's not the National League West, I'll put it that way. <laughs> it's not the National It's not the Showtime West, is that what you mean? <laughs> the so let's uh let's get back to this poster. Okay. So, Nicholas Castellanos flexes over Cardinals rookie Jake Woodford um forever putting himself into Cincinnati lore. H- how long did that pr- provide kind of a rallying moment for the team? I mean, like like I said that weekend it was the defining moment and the Reds look like they played like a team out to prove something has, you know, did that carry for a while? Is that carrying still with Castellanos? You kind of described how like he feels released. I mean, is, is that the, the moment that catapulted his season? Yeah. I mean, I think for Castellanos personally, I think that was kind of a big moment saying, okay, I'm back to myself. I'm going to play with intensity. That was kind of his reputation in Chicago. Um, when he was spent those two months there and was kind of their best player on a team trying to make the playoffs in 2019. So if he plays with that intensity and he always talks about how much he wants to win, be on a winner, uh, lost enough in Detroit, so he kind of wants to turn his career around. Um, I, I think that's a driving factor. And, um, you know, he, he's talked about it in recent interviews. I mean, just talking about, um, you know, he, he thought Woodford, he wasn't sure if he hit him on purpose, but definitely the situation, if, if Woodford wanted to, that would have been the situation to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, he said his main goal after he got on base was to drive Woodford's ERA up. Uh, so when he scored on the, the wild pitch, um, that, that led to the flex. But the team, uh, they haven't won three straight games since the first week of the season. Uh, they haven't been able to build on that momentum at all. Um, they, they were doing okay for maybe the first couple of weeks of the season, kind of treading water after that strong week. 
Um, and then when they got swept in St. Louis, that was kind of, they got swept at home by the Arizona Diamondbacks, who last place team in the National League West. Um, and then they came to St. Louis, got swept there. Uh, so that was a seven-game losing streak for them, and that, that kind of set them back, and they haven't really recovered after that that seven-game losing streak in the middle of April. I was really struck by, this is, goes back a few years, um, the Cardinals faced the the Washington Nationals in a division series before advancing to the NLCS, and, um, you know, that's the game, that's the series you go back where uh, the Nationals had a huge lead early on against Adam Wainwright in the final game. Um, but the Cardinals rally to then advance to the NLCS against uh, the Giants. But early in that series, there was a walk-off win for the Nationals. Uh, Jason Worth hit it, and it was the moment like it looked like it galvanized that team, which was a really talented team, had high expectations. That was part of their uh, their World Series or bus natitude uh, group before they went off and added Scherzer and really kind of um, – they kind of – created the team to match the expectations that they felt that they could articulate and everybody else would respect, but they didn't exactly play that way. If that makes sense, like they, their, their view of their team as a champion um, outstripped actually what it was. And I was always struck by the fact that they put up a poster of that walk-off home run. It was a huge thing of Jason Worth celebrating um, this, this, it was at the ballpark of celebrating that home run. I'm like, they're, they're, they, that's cool. That's an amazing moment for them, but that's a series that they lost. Like, what are they, they're celebrating a moment from a series that they lost. And yeah, I wonder like if the Reds have a losing season, if that's what that Castellanos poster becomes, you're putting, you're celebrating something that you lost. I I don't know if you saw it, but Amir Garrett kind of had a quote. I think it was probably it had to have been the first week of the season, maybe a little bit after the Castellanos uh, flex play, but where he was like, we want to be the most bat flipping showboating son of guns in baseball. And it, that's kind of what they were feeding into. We want to be kind of the cockiest team around. And, you know, they, they kind of walked the walk that first week of the season, but now you look at them, um, you know, they're below 500. Amir Garrett's uh, really been struggling. He's his ERA is above nine. And it's just one of those things where, that's kind of how they saw themselves was kind of in Cassianos's flex. Okay. We're the, we're the underdog. We're coming after these guys. Um, and I, I've heard a lot of bullpen guys kind of say the same thing. And um, you know, the, they felt like we were being underlooked where everyone keeps projecting us to be fourth place in the national league central before the season. But um, they felt like just because we lost Trevor Bauer doesn't mean we lost all our talent. Um, so that's kind of how they see themselves is the Cassianos flex. Um but, you know, they haven't backed that up to this point. I mean, they, they had a great first week of the season. Then after that, they I think they're around 10 games under 500 since then. So it, until they back that up, that's just kind of how they see themselves. But um, obviously it hasn't gotten to plan at all. It's such a great point. I, I think it's awesome to have all that. It's it's perfect for, for all that personality to come up. But it also has to have substance. Like, you know, I mean, you can't bat, bat flip a sacrifice fly, right? I mean, you can. But and then you fine if you want to, but you have to at least recognize your bat flipping a sacrifice fly, right? I mean that, that you just have to own that, um, you know, or your bat flipping a pop up. But yeah, yeah, I think absolutely. it's it's cool that you know I like all this. Uh, I like the fervor and that that first series was great. It was like oh my gosh, this this could really manifest into a remarkable rivalry that bring out brings out the both best in both teams, best play, best you know stories. Um, best reactions, um, certainly some acrimony. There's there is nothing wrong with two teams that sprinkle a little cayenne on a series. That makes it great, especially with personality, especially when it's true. But yeah, it's really hard to kind of swagger um, and bat flip when you're hitting a pop up into the shift. That's that's metaphorically. That's really tough. But yeah, and yeah. I, I think that's. You know, when you look at the, they put the poster up. I mean, I think it's solely to do for Castellanos. I mean, obviously there's a chance he opts out at the end of the year, and um, you know he's not with the team for much longer. But uh, oh, great point! That lore, like, okay, he's our guy now. He's he's a true Cincinnati Red. That's a great point, and it could be part of. Don't you want to stick around? Look what we do. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. 
You know, like <laughs> you're you're our guy. We want you to stick around for another two years. Uh, like like a college basketball you know. program recruiting a guy and putting him up in the you know highlights of him or something like that, or doing the intro, the Chicago Bulls style intro for him <laughs> when he's a a senior in high school, like that kind of thing. So that 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 would be a fascinating part of it if it's like part of kind of a recruiting notion. Like, hey, not only are you our guy, but don't you want to stick around? Look what we we made you life size or bigger than life with that. And we, we love it. That, that would be, that's a really neat angle to it. And it's funny because Castellanos, you know, last year, obviously the pandemic and everything, he always said, you know, honestly, when people ask me if I like Cincinnati, I, I can't give an honest answer. I don't know. Everything was shut down. I, I couldn't leave my, my room. I just went to the ballpark every day. I didn't even get to play in front of fans. Um, so this is kind of his first taste of Cincinnati as well. And uh, see, it's, I mean, obviously he's playing well, so it seems like he's enjoying it. Does he like Skyline Chili? He hasn't commented on that, so I don't know. But do, do you like Skyline Chili? I'm gonna put you on the spot. I, I'm okay with it. I don't. I don't love it. I don't hate it. Like if someone <laughs> brings it to me, that's fine. But I, there's very few times where I go out of my way to get Skyline Chili. All right. Well, we'll have to go for Skyline. I'll take you for Skyline Chili. How about that? As a thanks for for doing this podcast, I'll take you for Skyline Chili when next time. Well, what's the uh, like? People say toasted ravioli is that the St. Louis equivalent Skyline Chili? Um, probably, yeah. Um, I, though I think toasted ravioli is far more mm-hmm. universally loved. It probably doesn't bring out like the strong feelings. Um, certainly, St. Louis has the devotion to it. I think it's probably the uh, St. Louis style, so to speak, pizza with the Provel cheese. And the cracker crust. I think that is probably more the the skyline equivalent here because you'll see people uh, either on one side or the other. It's either fiercely defending it and loving it, or um, or mocking it. Yeah. Okay. I get that. Have you had that yet? Are you, you know Emos is the is the local practitioner of it. That's what I was gonna say. I've, I've heard of Emos. I haven't been there yet, but um, I, I think Jason Tatum. He's, mm-hmm. he's St. Louis native. I, I, I remember him saying he liked it or had a right. strong about it. Yeah, and the, some of the actors from the office have gone back and forth. Some defending it, some ripping it. You know, it's it's a little bit of a I don't know shtick, I guess. Um, but but that that is the just like Skyline, right? Skyline has become something that you fiercely defend, um, especially like for example when it's misrepresented on a cap as. Like, <laughs> like traditional chili on the back of a Reds cap, which makes no sense. So, um, yeah, I think that's uh, I think it's it's, it's got to be the piece, the pizza, because, you know, toasted. Who doesn't like toasted? Ra- I mean, it's ravioli and it's toasted. You know, who doesn't like that? And it's not like like I'm from Minnesota originally. So it's like chili in my mind is a lot different than what Cincinnati people call right. chili. If you gave it a different name, I, th- I think I'd be more accepting of it. Um, if you called it, you know, Skyline pasta sauce or something like that. Right. It's because it's compared to the traditional chili or like what we think of as like beans and spicy and all that stuff, as opposed to the nutmeg cinnamon pasta. Sauce. Yeah. I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 What would be the Minnesota equivalent? Because I mean, like the, the burgers with the cheese on the inside, again, who doesn't love that? Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, the juicy Lucy, Otherwise, it's probably something fish related. I mean, like all the walleye they do, uh, the walleye on a stick and all that type of stuff. Walleye on a stick? That's a thing? It, it seems a lot more normal when you live there than it does now. <laughs> like those words come in? Like those words seem like normal. <laughs> walleye on a stick. Is it So it's fried on a stick? Like a, yeah, yeah. Like a state fair kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Minnesota State Fair. Wow. One of the more popular ones. Wow. They should have a poster of walleye on a stick outside Target Field. Should have put it on the hat for uh, the new era. <laughs> should have put it on the hat. That's great. Yeah. Um, that's Bobby Nightingale, Reds beat writer for the Cincinnati Inquirer, um, talking about the delicacies of different cities in the Midwest. So that that's good. We could do a whole other podcast on that. We could talk about casserole pizza in Chicago, and now I'm going to get a whole bunch of emails. Um, but I do love deep ditch pizza in in uh, 
in Chicago. I can go on for days about cheese curds in Milwaukee. I have a list um, that I try to try of the best cheese curds in Milwaukee. That's that's how bad I. That's how often I go there and how much I like <laughs> cheese curds. I try to keep track of the best ones. So do you? All right. So do, that's the that'll be my last question for. Do you have a a go to place as many times as we go to these cities in the NL Central? Um, do you uh, do you have a go to place? So I like there's this real chili in Milwaukee right off Marquette's campus. I try to go there every time. Um, Chicago, I, I went to Bradley University, so kind of right between St. Louis yeah. and Chicago. Um, so I spent a lot of time in Chicago. Uh, there's this place called Flacco's Tacos that I always try to get yes. to. Kind of one of my favorite Mexican places. And also uh, Lou Malnati's. That's where I had my first date with my wife. So um, anytime I can get Lou Malnati's in Chicago, that's what I'm trying to do too. Lou Malnati's. So St. Louis, here's a tip for you. St. Louis has a spin on that chicago deep dish pizza right um and it's a black thorn it's spicy okay. though um it's not entirely chicago chicago style deep dish um but uh but it's got a kick to it real kick um so but it's fantastic as i'm giving free publicity here but it's fantastic <laughs> so let me let me uh let me tell you about our sponsor here at the best podcast in baseball the best podcast in baseball is brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. Get organized with Closet by Design of St. Louis. Update your closet, garage, office, pantry, and more. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN. That's 1-800-BY-D-E-S-I-G-N. Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. You can find the best podcast in baseball along with all of the Constant Cardinals coverage at stltoday.com and anywhere you get your podcast. It's available on iTunes where you can rate and review it. You can subscribe to it. All of those things are what make the sponsorships possible, and the sponsorships continue to make this weekly podcast possible from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. You can find all of Bobby Nightingale's work at the Cincinnati Inquirer, inquirer.com. Check it out there for all the coverage of the Cardinals' rival. Um, particularly, it sounds like, I mean, just from reading your work um, and all, everything, some of the better quotes in the NL Central, to be honest, come from the Reds. <laughs> Um, but they're a compelling team, and then they have their St. Louis ties, and they clearly uh, want to be, you know, they, they maybe turned heel a little bit, or maybe they want to present the Cardinals as having turned heel. So it would be good to have those teams be rivals. That makes it all better, right? Bobby, like, if, if, if those series mean some of this four-game visit, you know, the Cardinals have two more visits to Cincinnati. If those series have a heightened um, meaning beyond the standings, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, I look back at last year, just the shortened season. I, I thought the best thing about the shortened season was just the fact that the last couple of weeks of the season, every team felt like they were in it to a point. Uh, you know, four teams from the National League Central made the playoffs. So I, I, when you can just add a little bit more to the rivalry, I, it makes everything better. That's Bobby Nightingale. This has been the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. Thank you so much, Bobby, for joining me. I look forward to uh, seeing you at the ballpark all weekend. Thanks again. Yeah, my pleasure.